Today, um, we're going to look at the end of the story of the healing of the blind man in, in chapter 9, and it has all the classic features that you would expect in a good story. Good guys, bad guys, um, a rising problem, a, a clear plot line. You know, we start the story and we might have expected that the, the kind of the opposition at the start of the story was going to be this man's physical condition. He's blind. He's in trouble. But as the story unfolds, we actually work out that it's actually the, le- the religious leaders who are the opponents. And it turns out that the man's blindness is actually a metaphor that Jesus is using to teach us about the spiritual blindness of the religious leaders. Um, and then we have this marvellous resolution that we're actually going to look at today. And like many resolutions, I don't know whether you've noticed this, but in, in most good stories, the good ending isn't good for everyone. It's good for a lot of people, but it isn't good for anyone. There's some losers in a good ending most of the time in a good story. So uh, let's have a look at this story and um, the end of this story, and then we'll get right into it. Uh, John chapter 9, verse 34. I'd love for you to open that up if you've got your Bibles with you today. Uh, we're going to read verse 34 to 41. John chapter 9, 34 to 41. just want to pick up the last, in the ESV, the last five words of verse 34. And they, the religious leaders, cast him out. The blind man who had been healed got cast out of the synagogue. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you've seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, the judgment I've come into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things. That's what religious people do. They just hang around and they're annoying, right? And they listen in on conversations and if they hear something that's not right, they start talking about it. They said to him, to Jesus, are we also blind? (laughs) So teeing it up, right? You're on the tee, you've got the one word out. And they, they go, we blind. It's like, okay, that's been the whole point of John chapter 9. Uh, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at out, in, and in, but actually out. All right, there you go. Out, in, and in, but actually out. Let's hook in to the first one this morning. Out, John 9 verse 34. I can't advance that, Selena, so I don't know what's going on. Um, John 9 34, those five words at the end of verse 34, and they cast him out. And you know what's really interesting um, is I'm going to spend this whole first point talking about what's not in the story, right? Because what actually happens for us sometimes is we, we kind of skip sometimes too quickly uh, with hard things in life, all right? There's a tendency for us in, in terms of the way that we help each other sometimes in the church to just go, you know, we're, we're just going to go from 34 into 35 really quickly and Jesus found him. But who knows that there sometimes can be a really big gap between 34 and 35 and, and it can be really hard to be in that space. You know, I, as I was preparing this, uh, this talk, I, I was just thinking, I wonder how long it was before Jesus found him. 
How long was it? Well, we don't know. It could have been a few hours, maybe a day or two, maybe a week. Not really sure. You know, and I, I think you, we've got to appreciate the situation that's going on here. Um, you know, we sit here and we go, man, you should just be celebrating your healing, right? Uh, you should just be celebrating that there's, um, that you're able to see things, but in the end, this blind guy, this formerly blind guy, ends up in a bun fight with the religious leaders. They're going backwards and forwards. His own parents kind of distance themselves from him, and in the end, he gets kicked out of the synagogue. And you know what? At least in between 34 and 35... When it comes to the man's experience, where's Jesus? He doesn't know. I'll tell you something about this man and Jesus. Is he doesn't even know what Jesus looks like. You know how I know that? Because the text tells you that Jesus sends him off to Siloam and then he comes back and we think the back is probably his, at least his neighbourhood, if not his home. He's never seen him. So it's not like, bud, you just seem to... Get in the main marketplace or go down to the local shopping centre. Jesus is going to be there for sure. He doesn't even know who he's looking for. Do you see it? The man ends up healed, but there's still a whole bunch of mess going on. <laughs> you see that? And, and there's two things in this, this first point this morning that I want to look at. And, and here's the first one. Um, Jesus's restorative work stirs up darkness. You just got to believe that. That's how it rolls. Jesus came along. He did something good. And it also created a bunch of trouble. And I don't know whether you've ever had this question. I've had this question. Why can't we just have something good and not the mess with it? Has anyone had that? Why can't we just have something purely good and not the mess with it? Um, and there's, there's a reason why we can't, and one of the reasons why we can't have that is because there's no shalom anymore in the world. There's pockets of it. Well, what's shalom? Shalom's a Hebrew word which captures the peace of things operating properly. That's what shalom is. And shalom existed in the garden before humanity turned their back on God, but, but now the world is in varying states of disorder and malfunction and, and so Jesus comes along to this man who is blind and he actually restores order to the man he restores normal functioning to the man in a physical sense but what you've got to understand is that Jesus does this bit by bit and so where is this man well he's in the middle of a world where there's still a lot of malfunctioning disorder around him and so Jesus' work to restore order only served to highlight the disorder and malfunction that was going on around the place. And this is what Jesus has been telling us in the, the book of John for a good while now. Um, that the world's separated from God, it's in darkness. And you know, what we actually see with the man is something that Jesus warns people of in other gospels in the scriptures and there's uh, one on the screen now Matthew chapter 10 verse 34 to 36 is Jesus do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth I've not come to bring bring peace but a sword for I've come to send a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies some women go amen to that and a woman's and a person's enemies will be those 
of his own household. You know, some of you know what I'm talking about. Your allegiance to Jesus has created problems for you with those who are not aligned to him, who haven't given him their allegiance. You know, um, loving Jesus most can create problems for the people that you love most. That's the reality. Uh, and this is even the case for, for people in the church who are drifting. And, you know, we are just in an age and in a time where there's a lot of people who are just kind of going with the flow in church, who are just, because of the pandemic, are just not going with the flow anymore. And you kind of you ask the question, you go, are they, are they a Christian? Are they not a Christian? They, were they the real deal? Weren't they? There's a grief uh, that goes on sometimes when you're... I wonder if anyone understands what I'm talking about, where your love for Jesus draws you closer to him even as people are drifting. And it just it gets a little bit weird relationally. It's a bit painful. You know, we can, we can ask ourselves a question, why does it have to be this way? Um, why, does, why does good and bad have to run side by side? Um, and the reality is it's a fallen world. And that's how it rolls. <laughs> you know, there are times where just good happens. And they're great times. Is anyone, anyone with me on that? You just go, that is awesome. And there are some really heart-wrenching times where there's just bad things happening. All right? And they're like, they're like gut-wrenching. But most of the time, you know how it rolls? Good and bad things happen side by side. That's, that's what happens. Um... Something great happens, but not everything's great. Um, one of your kids is going well, and the other one's bottoming out. You know, I mean, one of the things that um, Ange and I have often said is that, is that when you've got four kids, all your kids are not doing well all at the same time, right? There's just too many variables there. There's always one that's not doing well, and there's always others that are actually doing pretty well, good and bad, run side by side. And I want to say to you that, is similar to what it's like in, in a church. Um, you have to celebrate good things and mourn bad things, often at the same time. And it, and it feels weird. I mean, there's times that it feels pretty schizophrenic, to be honest. And a, uh, a text that I often uh, refer to uh, in terms of pastoral work, but I think it sums up life pretty well, is in 2 Corinthians 10 verse... So, sorry, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 10... Where Paul says, uh, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. <laughs> and I think here's, here's just a, a, little bit of, a little bit of wisdom for you. Um, you know, just get as good as you can at being able to engage your sorrow and rejoice at the same time. And just, if it feels weird, that's because it is. <laughs> All right? So, uh, so don't think there's something wrong if it feels weird. But uh, that, that is how it tends to roll. And you can, I think, see that um, with this, this blind man here in John chapter 9. The, the second thing which I want to point out about this blind man is um, it can be difficult to be in the middle. Uh, John doesn't include a verse in between 34 and 35 because his focus is on Jesus. And our focus will be in a moment, but... Do you know something? There are lots and lots of verses in the... There's, sorry, there's lots and lots of spaces in the Bible where the Bible talks about the middle bit in between 34 and 35. And I wonder as you sit there if you can think of uh, what books they might be. 
most of the book of Job is about the middle, right? Uh, there is a lot, there is a lot of uh, pages, there are a lot of pages dedicated in the Psalms to the middle. You could read the book of Lamentations. Um, and the book of Lamentations is about being in the middle. Uh, you haven't gotten to the end, you're not at the beginning anymore, you're in the middle. Here's how the way uh, Paul Miller puts it. Often, when you think everything has gone wrong, it's just that you're in the middle of a story. And I want to say to you this morning, if you're in the middle of something, stories often don't make sense in the middle. In fact, most of the time they don't make sense in the middle. Uh, The story here in John chapter 9 could have ended at verse 34. And and I want to even suggest, we don't have this information, but I want to suggest perhaps even for the blind man, he probably felt like it was the end. He'd been kicked out, he'd met this amazing man who did this miracle for him and he probably felt like it was over. And, and it probably would have been a weird taste for him. There's this wonderful thing that had happened and he was responding to that, but he was still kind of in the mess of what was going on with the synagogue and with his parents. And we're going to see it in a minute um, when we get to the next verse, but uh, he, he gets Jesus in the end. Uh, and that makes all the difference. But I'll tell you something, just because you get Jesus doesn't mean... Or, or just because you have Jesus doesn't mean that being in the middle of a story all makes sense. And I want to say a couple of things. They're up on the screen about us as a church. Um, just want you to know this. This has been core to who we are since uh, we started 11 years ago. Uh, first one is uh, we want to be a people who are attentive to others being in a mess because they're in the middle of a story. Okay? Um, we don't want to get impatient and feel like we've got to close something out all the time. We want to be a people who, when someone comes in and they're in the middle of a story, we want to just honestly say to them, look, that really, that really sucks, and I don't know what's going to happen in the end. I'm just going to sit with you. I'm going to walk alongside you in the middle of the story that you're in. We're not going to kind of trot out a Bible verse and expect that tomorrow morning they're going to be fine. I'm not saying that we don't share scriptures and we don't encourage each other, but we're going to hesitate to to give them one in a way that now that you know it, you'll be okay. We're going to go, no, you're in the middle of a story and we want to walk with you. And here's the other thing um, I'd love us to be as a people. Um, And I think we are, but I'd just love us to keep growing this way, is just being attentive to the messiness which still exists at the end of a story. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus can come in and he can do this amazing work and and we're going to see that with this blind man in a minute, and a man formerly blind, is that Jesus does this amazing work, and it's an amazing end to the story. But do you know something? We don't find out anything more really about this blind man, but he's going to have to navigate what's going on with his parents. He's going to have to navigate what's going on with the synagogue. There's still a mess that needs to be walked through. You know, my goal this morning, like for some of you, you go, oh, I come to church to get some hope, right? Um, And I'm all for that. And I hope that you get lots of hope this morning. Um, But I also want to be honest about how things roll. And I want you to know that your messiness is something you can bring into this place. 
You don't have to have everything sorted out. And even when Jesus comes in and closes some things out, you still don't have to have everything sorted out. You know, I've said so many times, every church is messy. The only difference between a messy church and a clean church is that one talks about the mess and the other one doesn't. And I want to say to you this morning that we want to talk about messes. Because every single person in this room's got a backstory and we want to walk alongside you in that. And no one's got it all sorted out, including the preacher. Wasn't that long ago, I, um, I went to church somewhere else. It was, a, um, it was a funeral, actually. And I got there and uh, my, I was messy inside. And they got up to sing and I couldn't sing. I just, I couldn't sing. And I'm not going to go into the details of why I couldn't sing. I just couldn't sing. I don't know whether you've ever had that, where you, sigh, you come to church and there's a happy song on and you go, okay, someone else can sing that. So, you know, I actually, actually did that and I was standing next to a brother, a Christian brother, and he was singing. So I didn't sing and I closed my eyes and I let my brother sing to me. He didn't know it. I told him later, actually. It was Nathan, actually. He was standing next to me and um, I just let him sing to me seeing the truth about who Jesus was to me. He didn't know. But it's Ephesians 5.19, right? Paul says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, my brother addressed me with a psalm and a hymn and a spiritual song on that day. You know? and, I, and I just want to say to you, if you, for whatever reason, come to Restoration Church, even perhaps this morning you go, I, there's nothing in my heart that makes me want to sing today because it's heavy. You are in the right place. All right? Because we'll walk alongside you. We want to hear you. And probably not me, but someone probably who can sing will sing to you. All right? I want to say, and here's the good news. We're going to go on to the, um, the second point here. The first point is the man was out. He doesn't stay out. The second point here is in. So verse 35 to 38. Um, Jesus heard that they'd cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Isn't this beautiful? You seem to know that this is the way that Jesus rolls. You know, somehow word's gotten to Jesus that this man's been booted out of the synagogue and he goes, I need to go and talk to that man. And uh, I want to say to you, I want you to hear this uh, really clearly. Jesus will never hang you out to dry. Never. Do you believe it? He'll come for you? Do you believe me? It can feel like it, right? I don't know what was going on for the, the blind man. It can feel like it. You know, you go to the, the Easter story and Jesus is crucified on the Friday and he's resurrected on the Sunday and there's some pretty... Depressed disciples getting around, right? It's like he's hung us out to dry. We've been left hanging. We bought into him totally and he's just gone and left us. And I want to say to you this morning that you will have times in your Christian walk where it feels like Jesus has kind of come in and done some stuff and then there's a whole bunch of trouble that's happened and it's just going to feel like you're alone. I want, to, I want to say to you this morning that Jesus is never indifferent to your troubles. 
ever. And the evidence I'll put forward to you today, there's lots of evidence, but in this text this morning, is Jesus was not indifferent to this man's troubles, right? He hears about this man getting kicked out, and he goes, I need to go and see that man. And here's, here's a phrase I'd love for you, just, just if I could burn it into your heart. It's on the screen here. <laughs> Jesus will always come for you. He will always come for you. I'm not saying that you won't have times where it's dry or you struggle to connect with him, that trouble won't come, but he will always come for you. He tracks the man down. You know what's fascinating about this is, uh, as I mentioned before, Jesus sent the man out blind. He'd never set eyes on Jesus before. So he comes back to Jesus and there's this sense in the text there, when he calls Jesus, sir, that maybe he recognises him. Maybe it's like, oh, maybe that's the same voice that, that actually told me what to do before. And Jesus comes in and, and says to this man, he says, um, do you believe in the Son of Man? And you just need to know that the, the term Son of Man is a, a term of divinity. And it actually shows up over and over in the Gospels and it goes right back to uh, Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 7. Verse 13 to 14, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. It's Jesus. It's, it's Jesus is God and he has he is always existed but he's actually come in the flesh and Jesus is asking the blind man this question and he's saying that in this category of son of man that Jesus is the one that connects heaven and earth and he's asking this man, do you believe in him? Do you trust in him? Do you buy into him? Look at the response. <laughs> and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you've seen him, and it is he who's speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. This is absolutely beautiful. You know why this is beautiful? Because not only did this man who was formerly blind get to see Jesus physically for the first time is he actually got to see him spiritually as well with the eyes of his heart he got to see him truly for who he was and, and what does what does he do drops like a stone right that's what he does he drops like a stone and worships and, and notice that he's not just anyone anymore he's not just the prophet or Jesus who is somewhere uh, as he said early in chapter 9, he's Lord now. The one who is in charge. Authority, Lord, Master. This is a sign that you belong to Jesus. That you say, you can be the boss. And, and here's the sign that you belong to Jesus. You believe he's a better boss than you are of your own life. So you take a lead from him, not from what you think. That's Proverbs 3, 4 and 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own what? Understanding. So you don't lean on that. You lean on what he says. Falls down and he worships. You know the, uh, the Greek word that's translated as worship in this, um, in this verse uh, it has to do with falling down before, like physically. Kissing the hem of a garment. Kissing the ground. Giving reverence. This is the only time in the whole of the Gospel of John where it's said that someone worships Jesus. 
And I want to just encourage you a little today with uh, the fact that you're an embodied soul. There's a physical part of you, there's a non-physical part of you, and one of the realities of who we are as humans, as physical spiritual beings, is that our worship and our loves are revealed in physical ways. You know, this, this man didn't sit with his, the legs up, you know, on a, on a recliner at home watching a live stream of church and go, I worship Jesus, all right? That's not actually what we see here. He falls down and he worships. And you see this consistently through the Gospels that when people encounter Jesus, you can tell. You know, people say, you shouldn't judge other people, right? But, but Jesus, and Jesus said that, right? But Jesus also said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Okay, so, so you need to be able to observe the change that Jesus brings in someone's life. Uh, Zacchaeus in Luke 19 was a chief tax collector. His name meant the righteous one, ironically, because he ripped his own people off and he probably got rich doing it. Climbs a tree. Jesus is coming along. Jesus quite rudely invites him. I just mean in the customs of the day, invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. He goes to Zacchaeus' house and what does Zacchaeus do by the end of it? He says, I'm going to give away a whole bunch of my cash. And I'm going to repay people fourfold what I defrauded them of. You can tell when someone has seen Jesus. You uh, go back to uh, Matthew chapter 2 and the account of the, um, the Magi, the wise men coming to visit baby Jesus, going into the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Revelation chapter 4, the vision of heaven. The elders in heaven fall down before him and worship. In Revelation chapter 4, you can see it, right? And I wonder, and I, please don't hear this as a, as a challenge, as much as just an encouragement, is I wonder what you do when it comes to expressing your worship of God physically. All right? Um, what, what does that look like? I mean, your worship of God extends to all areas. So we're not just talking about, most of us will probably be thinking, oh, you're talking about what I do when I sing. It's like, well, no, not really, just everything. Because your worship of Jesus affects everything. And that's actually what you see the whole way through the scriptures. But when you spend time praying, when you, um, even in your own time, in private, where you, uh, worship the Lord in song. When you're listening to worship music, do you ever kneel? Do you ever bow? Ever bow down? You ever get face down? Seems like there's a lot of people in the Bible that get face down. You ever get face down? You know, because here's the thing, you're, um, I've said this for years, uh, your spiritual posture and your physical posture are connected. Um, and you might go, well, sometimes I... I haven't really felt like doing that. And it's like, that's okay. That's cool. But sometimes you can get your feelings into submission by what you do with your body. Um, and, and so we just need to be mindful of that. Enough of a segue. Um, note what's going on here. Um, the one who is out is now profoundly in. 
all right? He, he thought he was out and he was out, but now he's in, all right? He's in big time. And, and um, there was this, I, I think in my time uh, as a dean of students in a uh, high school, Christian high school, there's one verse I think I quoted uh, more uh, than any other verse, and it's uh, probably a bit of a statement actually about the nature of uh, society, to be honest. Uh, but it's this one. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. You can probably see why I used to quote that quite a bit. But isn't that beautiful? What, what's the comparison here? They're meant to be the last ones to forsake you. Right? And, and what's, what's the point here in the psalm is like, if you get down to your last people who've got your back, and they walk away from you, there's still one left. <laughs> there's still one left. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Is this not exactly what Jesus did with this blind man? Isn't it? It's just, I've got you, man. You're with me. It's beautiful. So out, in, last one, in, but actually out. Verse um, 39 to 41. Uh, that's the wrong verse up there. Verse 39 to 41. For Jesus said, uh, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Um, some of the Pharisees heard him, near him, heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now you say, now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Um, you know, in verse 39 there, Jesus says he's coming to the world for judgment. And you might actually go, hang on, well, that doesn't seem to fit with the rest of John. Um, but what Jesus is actually saying here is not that he's come to judge at this point, but he's coming into the world as the light will divide people. Some will see and others will be blind. And the judgment that actually happens actually isn't the purpose of him coming in the world, it's the effect of him coming in the world, coming into the world. Um, he came to save, not to judge. But if people reject his saving, they end up with judgment. That's the idea of what Jesus is saying here. And so the Pharisees, in response, ask a question. And it's a good question, are we also blind? And then Jesus goes on to articulate the nature of sight and blindness. Have a look up here. Just go back one, thanks, Selena. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Let me just interpret this last part of this verse for you. You know what Jesus is saying? The way to see is by admitting that you don't see and the way to be blind is by thinking that you see. That's what he's saying here. He's not saying those who actually see in a spiritual sense. He's saying those who think they see are actually blind. This is what Jesus is saying. And this is what you see with the blind man, right? <laughs> if you know and admit you can't see, then because of Jesus you will see. But if you think you see... You're blind and you'll never see while you think you see. And that's the Pharisees. Here's another way to put it. 
You will see if you admit you can't, and you'll be blind if you maintain that you do see. You get that? Let's move on. Just finish looking at this scripture, the next uh, verse in verse 41. Uh, Jesus said to them, if you're blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So Jesus extends the thought here in the last verse of the chapter and it restates this idea of light and darkness, that Jesus is bringing the light uh, and the darkness is the world separated from God. And Jesus is saying here, if, if you knew that you were blind and you asked for help, you would get Jesus and he would take away your sin. But if you maintain that you can see and you don't ask for help from Jesus, then you keep your sin and your guilt remains on top of you. And there's a fearfulness to this stuff, right? Because what we've actually got going on here in this passage is not just blindness, we've got willful blindness. There's another um, hyphenated word that Scripture um, kind of speaks to that kind of sums this up, and it's self-deception. You know, it's one thing to be blind, it's a whole other thing to be willfully blind. And, you know, I don't know whether you ever think about it too much, but self-deception just freaks me out, right? I don't like the idea of deception, that someone's going to lie to me and make me think that something's true that's not actually true. But it's a whole other level when you're doing that to yourself. You know what I'm saying? To be deceived is one thing. To be self-deceived is a whole other thing. You don't even need the help of other people. So at the end of the day, here's, here's where I want to finish today. Being a Christian is like holding a piece of wet soap. Okay. When you think you have it, you probably don't. And when you don't think you have it, you probably do. Because humility is key. And you know, um, you read on uh, into chapter 10, and it's this famous, famous uh, discourse uh, in John chapter 10 about the good shepherd. A shepherd who, uh, who knows your name, one whose voice you recognise, one who gives life to the full, one who lays down his life for you. Um, and at the end of this part of the discourse, the, the Jews kind of go, this guy's mad, and then some of them go, does a madman say things like this? Does a madman open the eyes of a blind person? And I think it's entirely appropriate whether it actually happened on the spot or whether John just kind of slipped it right in there. I think one of the things that's going on here for us is uh, uh, who knows that this man needed a shepherd, a good one. And uh, he, he knew that he needed one. And, and do you know what? He got one, didn't he? Good shepherd and, and a shepherd that was going to lead him and so that he can live life to the full. Let's pray. Jesus, if we're honest, um, we know that our, our shame would say to us, do you know what you're getting yourself in for? And you say that you, uh, you love us, you want us, you want to be near us, close to us, and part of us is a part of me that just goes, oh, are you really? Are you sure? Are you sure this is what you want to do? And 
You're not like anyone else. You, um, you saw um, us truly and rightly and accurately before we did. Before we saw anything about us. You see all the things that we don't see about ourselves right now. And you say to us that you love us. And it's, it's your death on the cross for us in the middle of us not wanting to have anything to do with you that clarifies once and for all that you love us and you're for us. And that's the words, uh, Jesus, of the, the Apostle Paul. If God is for us, he can be against us. God, thank you so much that you are so loving, that you don't rely upon anything good in us to love us, that you love us because you're good, because you're loving. Thanks for the confidence that that gives us about every moment, every single moment. Amen.